the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Time for Grace to the Bay with Dr. Roger Chen. Dr. Chen is the pastor at Grace Church of the Bay Area, a church committed to glorifying the Lord Jesus Christ through verse-by-verse expository preaching to learn exactly what God has revealed in His Word. Now, here's Dr. Chen with today's message. With rare exception, every week of your life, this last week was no different, and starting tomorrow will again be no different, is all the same. Week after week after week, it's the same thing. Tomorrow morning, you will wake up early. You will kiss your wife or your husband goodbye and get in the car or get on the bus and go to work. You clock in, you sit down, you type for eight hours, and then you clock out, you go home, you fight traffic, kiss the wife, say hi to the kids, eat dinner, go to bed, rinse and repeat. Friday night, maybe you're on Google. What's open tomorrow? Where can we take the kids? Maybe that's a little different. You take the kids to a museum or to a park, then you go home. Ah, I got another day. Oh, I got to go to church. You come to church, you get ready, you get stressed because the kids aren't ready. You go to church. Where's my Bible? Find your Bible, get some coffee, talk to a few people, sit down, go through a sermon, rinse and repeat, and it starts over again. And then pretty soon it's on Monday morning, I do this and that, and it's all robotic. It's all the same. It's boring. It's mundane. What are you doing for? What are you waiting for? Another day of the exact same thing? Another Sunday of another boring sermon? Another stale coffee? Another old pastry? Why do we do it week after week after week? It's boring. And you say, rat race. Isn't that what they call it? I've seen rats thrown in a, in a little puzzle in a, in a lab. That's exactly it. We're just fighting. We're just doing it for seemingly no reason until you understand grace. That changes everything. That changes just waking up in the morning to rush to get to work to thank God for another day. That changes from, "Ah, I got to deal with the kids again, no free weekends for the next 15 years to, I don't deserve these kids. I don't deserve this house that I have to clean because they throw their toys everywhere. And all of this, we know as believers in God's grace that there is no end for us. In fact, the future, what we call the end times, even is even greater and more glorious. And so we're even sparked with even greater understanding of grace to live for God, to live because of God, and live for a day in where He will, Almighty King, come again and usher us into glory where we will forever be sin-free. All of it is grace. It changes everything. It has changed your life. It has changed your perspective on life. It has changed your eternity. It was changed where you live forever and ever and evermore. And this morning, as we continue studying 1 Corinthians and we look at the concept of grace, these are the exact principles we will see. That grace, as Paul tells us or tells the Corinthians, is every day. And it's an everything And it will continue on as we live for eternity in glory. 
Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 4 through 9, and we'll continue our study on the blessings of God, what that means and what grace means and how those two are interconnected in many ways the same thing, and how this changes the Christian's perspective the moment they are saved from the daily rat race, the humdrum, boring repetitiveness of life to an exciting adventure after adventure after adventure. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 4 through 9. I thank my God always concerning you for the grace of God which was given you in Christ Jesus, that in everything you were enriched in Him, in all speech and all knowledge, even as the testimony concerning Christ was confirmed in you, so that you are not lacking in any gift, awaiting eagerly the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will also confirm you to the end, blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful, through whom you were called into fellowship with His Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. We are in the middle of looking at eight realities of the grace bestowed upon believers. And last week, we looked at the first four, which I want to review for you briefly. In verse 4, we saw the source of blessing, who or which is God. He says again, I thank my God always concerning you for the grace of God which was given you in Christ Jesus. And we are reminded here of the foundation for thanksgiving and all of Christian living, which is God's grace. God's grace, firstly and most importantly, in salvation, in giving you faith then is continuing grace through the concrete expressions of blessing in our lives and giftedness. You understand that no one has and no one will ever be saved through their faith. You are saved by grace through faith. Because if it is your faith, you're mustering up the energy to believe, then that just works righteousness. You are saved by your own works. Yes, faith, but it is a gift. You are saved by grace through faith. It is because God is doing this in the Corinthians, this grace, that Paul is constantly thanking God concerning them. Despite their moral failures, which include an unloving and frankly downright hurtful behavior toward the Apostle Paul. In other words, through the letter of 1 Corinthians, though it is to correct the Corinthians' believers, Paul's focus is first and foremost on what God is doing. And that's why, as we saw last week, he can thank God for them, be thankful for them, despite the fact that they are in no way acting like friends, let alone fellow believers at this point. Because he's not saying, I thank you for you and your works. He's thanking God for what he has done in them, not what the Corinthians are doing. And from this, we see why Paul even bothers in the first place, why he even cares. If someone is treating you that badly, just write them off, forget about them, cut them out of your life. You don't need that stress, that temptation to sin, get, out, get them out of there. But Paul cares because it is God working in them. And we can also learn the proper attitude and how we are to view other believers even when they mistreat us, to focus on God's work in them. Secondly, we saw the depth of blessing in the beginning of verse 5. 
that in everything you were enriched in him. And Paul says we have been made exceedingly rich, exceedingly wealthy, and that God has blessed us in all things spiritual. As far as spiritual things are concerned, we are wealthy. And this is far more important than physical blessing. And we need to remember the significance of this and the priority of this. I spoke last week, I believe, in the beginning, in the introduction of my sermon about how people misuse the word blessing. And so often, uh, it's connected in our world, in our society, to having a lot of money or getting a better job or a pay raise, right? We, we're even tempted to say that as well as if a Christian who makes six figures is more blessed than a Christian who makes five figures or four figures, that's not the case. I understand we say that because we want to attribute, attribute our finances to God, but we need to be careful that we don't just view blessing as material things. And this is a good reminder here. He says, you are wealthy spiritually. We need to stop focusing or prioritizing physical wealth, material wealth. You know, when we look at our lives, we often struggle with a lack of gratitude, a hesitation to totally surrender to Christ. All temptation, really stems from a pursuit of worldly things while overlooking the fact that we are already spiritually fulfilled. Because we overlook what we already have and we strive for what we want, what we don't have. Because the grass is always greener, right? So remember the depth of blessing. You are fully blessed spiritually. Thirdly, we saw the mission of blessing and he specifies as we go on in verse 5, 1 Corinthians 1, he says, in all speech and knowledge, in everything you were enriched in him, in all speech and all knowledge. And I pointed out last week that we have been blessed in all things spiritual, yet Paul makes mention of two specific grace gifts, speech and knowledge. This speaks to the privilege as well as the priority we have of proclaiming the truth of God, whether through evangelizing the lost or building up believers in the church. Both speech and knowledge refer to the Scriptures in the sense that we have been given the ability to speak for God and the knowledge to do so as an effective representative of God. It doesn't mean that if you haven't been to seminary or you can't answer every theological question that a Christian or non-Christian will throw at you means that you haven't been given this gift. You have. We all have been given enough to represent God. In fact, We're looking at 1 Corinthians. It is, after all, in his second letter to the Corinthians that Paul refers to believers as ambassadors of Christ. All believers are representatives of a king, a leader. An ambassador we are, representatives in this case of a king while living in a foreign land. You're familiar with the concept of an ambassador. For us, that king being Jesus, the foreign land for us being earth. We represent another kingdom the heavenly kingdom, the kingdom of God, while we are temporarily sent by that king to represent him here on earth. And so naturally, it makes sense, as you would expect of a political, uh, worldly ambassador, that they are given the ability, trained, and given the resources to effectively represent the United States of America or the United Kingdom or Canada or wherever they are sent from as an ambassador. So too, this is what this is speaking of. As ambassadors of Jesus Christ, 
we have been given the resources we need, which is the ability to speak for and the understand the understanding of Scripture from God for God. And finally, last week we saw, fourthly, the confirmation of blessing. In verse 6, he says, even as the testimony concerning Christ was confirmed in you. And this simply means that for the Corinthians, as well as for all believers, it was upon the acceptance of the gospel at the moment they were saved and justified is when the grace of God became operative in salvation, as well as all the blessings pouring forth specifically in regards to their mission on earth, our mission on earth. And so uh, this week we begin with number five, the fifth reality of the grace bestowed upon believers, the anticipation of blessing. The anticipation of blessing. Our blessing brings with it an anticipation of what? Let's look at verse 7. So that you are not lacking in any gift, awaiting eagerly the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ. As it does in English today, the word or that phrase, so that, explains what just came before it. So what we're about to look at explains the present benefits of our believing. Why have we been given these privileges and these gifts? See, Paul builds on believers being enriched in God's grace here. The gift of grace refers to the gifts used to minister to others. We just talked about that. And it is all we need to live a faithful and fruitful life for God on this planet. And again, we're reminded of the dangers of living a life thinking that we are lacking or wanting because we focus on the material rather than the spiritual. He says you are not lacking in any gift. And yet, if you ask the average Christian in America, they say, oh, I'm lacking. I'm lacking finances. I'm lacking a family. I'm lacking a spouse. I'm lacking kids. I'm lacking kids that obey. I'm lacking enough in my 401k, whatever it is, right? We all think we're lacking. We're lacking because your phone's slow. You have the iPhone 9 instead of the 53 or whatever's out now, right? (laughs) We're, We're all lacking something. And it is true, at least uh, technologically speaking, financially speaking, there's always more we can have. But what Paul is reminding us is that spiritually speaking, we are not lacking. God has given us, at least given us the resources and the ability and His Spirit to do what we need to do. We don't always do it. We still sin. We still fail. We are lacking understanding. But it's helpful that Paul here uses the word gift because it focuses our attention on the free and generous giving of the giver. You can't see it, but that word giver in my notes is a capital G. The giver. God. It is all of grace. And when you combine God's sovereign ability with His grace and love toward us, then you understand why we're not lacking in any spiritual gift. He loves us. He has called us. He wants us to have the privilege and the joy of representing Him. He doesn't send us out and like a bad boss or a bad manager, go go take care of this client. 
and doesn't prepare you at all. You don't even know what's wrong. What's the problem? What problem does a client have? What's the address? Who do I talk to when I get there? You don't know anything. But that's now how God treats us. He doesn't just send us on earth and say, go do something for me, and we have no idea what that means. He tells us. He gives us the ability to speak. And for the rare few that can't speak, to sign, to write, whatever it is, to represent Him. And the Bible is so clear. Yes, we have questions. There's passages we don't understand. But a grade schooler could read the Bible and get saved and understand what God wants him to do. And again, this is a reference to what we should be the, what should be the primary desire of our lives, which is to serve God and to serve others. And this highlights what I believe is one of the biggest issues with material pursuits versus acknowledging your existing spiritual wealth and what you plan to do with that. You see, the former, just pursuing being rich on earth, focuses on self and focuses on what you want. The latter focuses on others and what God wants. And that's it. That's very simple. When we look at the Scriptures, it's very clear that we are to take care of ourselves. We are to enjoy this life in Him. But it's all about focusing in, on Him and others. I used, to, I used to say, you know, you read the Bible, you read the New Testament, Christian, and you realize it is not about you. It's not about you. And I preached that in a sermon in a seminary class, and the professor corrected me very graciously. It wasn't a main point in his critique. He said, eh, the Bible is kind of about you. And it is true. Because salvation is all about you. But how you live is all about not you. How we're called to live is all about something other than you. In fact, that's why the definition of love, so based, so simple, right? Love. The very definition of love in the Bible is all about others, 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 others. And yet we're growing up thinking love is all about me, 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 me. Because that's what they say. That's what Hollywood says. That's what Hallmark says. Why? Because if you were to define love on your own, just in your own degenerate sinful heart, you would say, it's me. It's flowers for me. It's cards for me. It's giving me attention. It's me, me, me. Right? And yet, we know from the Scriptures, the very definition of love, the very definer of love, God, very God, it's all about others, others, others. Name one point in the Gospels all the way up through the crucifixion and resurrection and ascension that anything in Jesus' example for us was about me, 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 me. I mean, maybe feeding thousands of people, maybe healing people. Okay, that's selfless. But surely if there was even one fraction of an ounce of selfishness in Christ's life, it is the cross he would avoid, right? This other stuff, fine. You want me to serve, you want me to give, you want me to wash people's feet, fine, but uh, mm, I can't do that. But it clearly shows in his perfect example for us a complete selflessness and a definition of love and grace. I was walking home this week, uh, caught up with uh, one of my neighbors who's not a Christian, 
and uh, we're sharing about uh, Emily, a tragedy that happened in my family and I's life recently, and he had no idea. You know, he we hadn't seen him in a while. He's like, oh, when's the baby due? And so I shared with him, and we talked a little bit about religion and, uh, you know, wanting to share the gospel with him. And, and we got into talking about his philosophy on life. He said he was kind of playing on the Me Too movement. He said, you know, the biggest problem around here is me first. Me first. We're so consumed with self to the detriment of society and the plan and purposes of God in our lives. And don't even mention outside of the church. Right? The, the, the growing level of selfishness and thinking about yourself first and what you think you deserve and self-entitlement. This is destroying our com- country. We want to blame the Republicans. We want to blame the Democrats. We want to blame coronavirus or whatever. Because we're afraid to look in the mirror and say, this is me. This is me. You know, you look at the average American and you live, listen to their speech and you listen to the, the depravity that they pursue and the, the, the things that they do to other people and, and the self-entitlement. You really think, given the reach and the power and the money of Donald Trump, they wouldn't do the same things that we don't like reading about in the paper? You, you really think people, the average unbeliever in the world, given no repercussions because he's so rich and powerful that he wouldn't just randomly grab actresses that are fawning to get his autograph or a picture? I don't think they would do that. Yeah, but, but they cheat on their spouses and have affairs? Come on. It's the depravity of man. It's a, it's a selfishness. Do what feels good. Do what you want. Sacrifice your kids. Sacrifice time with your kids. Sacrifice your kids' health. Because, hey, you know, you justify it. They really will be happier in a bigger house. Right? We make these excuses when it's really all about us. It's me first. We need to flip that around as believers. Me last. There's a reason that what the Old Testament Jews were to give to God were called first fruits. Not second batch, not second harvest, definitely not last, not leftovers after what you and your family can't eat or what nobody wants to buy at the market, first fruits. To give to God first and then use what's left over for self, whether it's eating it or selling it. And we're not just talking about first chronologically. The Old Testament is clear. This concept of first fruits was to give God that which came first and also was best. And you can imagine for months, months of planning and waking up before the sun comes up, going in to have dinner after the sun goes down, bleeding from his hands, a farmer toiling for months and months, excited when that flower buds and that crop first comes out to say, finally, Something has grown. Let's eat. But he doesn't run home with the spoils for his family. He runs to the temple to give God his first fruits. And the principle behind this, as the Proverbs tell us, 
is first fruits is because God created everything and thus everything belongs to God. But when we buy into or live out the me first mentality, we give all to ourselves first and then what's left over, we give God and others. That's why some Christians don't give at all. Because they've managed to use up everything for themselves. Which is not very difficult, you understand. Perhaps it's a lack of faith that you will have anything left if you give your first and best to God. But again, that was one of the points of the first fruits in the Old Testament. To trust the Lord in worshiping and honoring Him with your sacrifice of first fruits to trust the Lord that He will bring more crop and more harvest for you to use. And I think when we struggle with this, the irony of not living this way is when you jump forward to the New Testament in James chapter 1 and verse 18, you know what he says are a kind of first fruits to God? We are. Christians are called the first fruits. We are the first sign or foretaste of what is to come in the new creation. And should we not then, as the very first fruits of God, live so that we give to God our first fruits? It goes back to living out our position as we talked about a couple weeks ago. This has been Grace to the Bay with Dr. Roger Chen. Grace to the Bay is the radio ministry of Grace Church of the Bay Area, practicing and proclaiming the purity of biblical truth. You're invited to join them for worship service in Burlingame, Sundays at 11 a.m. Visit the website gracebayarea.org for directions and other information or to view a live stream of the service. As a listener-supported program, we ask that you consider making a tax-deductible donation so that we can continue to share Pastor Roger's teaching with you each week. Donations can be made through our website, kfax.com. 